Question is to the Prime Minister, Philip Dunn. Question yeah. number one, sir. Yeah. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, the whole House will want to join me in extending our condolences to the families and friends of those who sadly lost their lives as a result of Storm Chiara and Storm Dennis. I know we would also like to thank all those who are providing support to tackle the impact of these storms, including the Environment Agency, local authorities, our emergency services and our armed forces. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Philip Dunn. Uh, Mr Speaker, I would like to associate myself with the thanks from the Prime Minister to all those helping in the aftermath of Storm Dennis. It has brought record high water levels high water levels in the rivers Severn and Trent, and over 100 properties in my constituency have been flooded, bringing misery to those affected. The Severn in Bridge North, as we speak, has just breached its banks. Will the Prime Minister use his influence in the Budget and later this year in the Comprehensive Spending Review to increase infrastructure spending on flood defences for communities at risk, as part of his determination in this year of COP26 to show global leadership taking action on climate change? Adaptation and mitigation. Yeah. Uh, indeed, I can, Mr. Speaker. I thank my right honourable friend. I can say that we have uh, been ensuring that the uh, Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government uh, is able to extend the bail win scheme where appropriate. And I can also tell my uh, right honourable friend that, of course, uh, we are investing massively in flood defences. £2.6 billion has already gone in. And as he knows, we are pledged to commit another £4 billion pounds to defend uh, this country against flooding. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My thoughts are with those suffering across the world from the coronavirus, and I want to send a message of praise to medical and emergency staff all over the world for what they are doing to try and stop the spread of this disease. And I hope that public health services in Britain will get the resources they need. And there is an urgent question on this after Prime Minister's question time today. Thousands of people across the country are Thousands of people across the country are also still struggling with the devastating impact of the floods. I want to pay tribute to the work of the Environment Agency, the Scottish and Welsh Governments, Council staff, Fire Service who are helping local residents and the huge numbers of community volunteers who have pitched in to help their neighbours. Does the Prime Minister agree with the Conservative leader of Derbyshire County Council that he's turned his back on the people affected by the floods? Uh, Mr Speaker, since the flooding began, uh, this government has been working flat out night and day to ensure that the people in this country get the support that they need, activating the Berwyn scheme, making sure that uh, business gets the recovery relief that they need, the business rate relief, and, as I told the House just now, putting £2.6 billion now into flood defences and £4 billion more to come. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, you can't give local authorities the clear message you support them and then turn your back on them. Not my words. Conservative Council leader said that. When I visited Pontypris last week, I saw at first hand the damage and destruction that these floods have caused to people's lives, homes and businesses. But the Prime Minister was silent, sulking in his grace and favour mansion at Chevening. After two weeks of flooding after two weeks of flooding mr speaker there are now even memes being produced not asking where's wally saying where's boris 
when is the government going to stop hiding and show people that he actually cares, or is he too busy going about some other business? Maybe if he's too busy, he could send his chief adviser, Dominic Cummings. I'm sure he'd be very well received in all the flooded areas. Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm very proud of the response the government has mounted over the last uh, few days. Uh, and uh, we convened the National Flood Response Centre on the 14th. And uh, uh, since that event, since the flooding began, there has been a constant act- stream of ministerial activity led by uh, my right honourable friends, uh, the, Minister, the, Dep- the Secretary of State for the Environment, the Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government. And never forget that in spite of the flooding, and no one should underestimate the anguish that flooding causes. And of course, it's an absolute shock to the households that are affected. But it is Thanks to the measures that this government has put in, that 200,000 households have been protected from flooding. And we don't hear that from the Honourable Member. During the election campaign, I wrote to the Prime Minister demanding that Cobra be called to deal with the floods at that time. He very reluctantly agreed with that and eventually did call a meeting of Cobra. The situation now is even worse across the country than it was then. No Cobra has been called, or is he just pretending to care when he doesn't really care at all because there's no votes on the line at this moment. Mr Speaker, as he knows perfectly well, there have been a, a, a stream of ministerial meetings since the flooding began. Uh, the National Flood Response Centre was convened on February the 14th, and I have been directing things, as he perfectly knows. Co- Cobra is a reference to, to Cabinet, Cabinet Office Briefing Room A. Uh, it is not the only room in which meetings can take place, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, the issue is very serious for people around the country whose homes are being flooded. They need help and support. They don't need trite answers like that from their Prime Minister. Time and again, communities and lives are being put at risk, and the government simply refuses to acknowledge the scale of the problem. Does he agree with his honourable friend, the member for Shipley, who said the government has done precious little to stop the floods happening again? Mr Speaker, let, let, me re- let me repeat for the benefit of the right honourable gentleman that this government has a fantastic record of investing in flood defences and will continue to do so. And the reason we can do so, the reason we've been able to commit £2.6 billion to flood defences and we're able to pledge another £4 billion, Mr Speaker, is because this government is running a strong and successful and robust economy which he would ruin. If that is the case, Mr Speaker, why then is the government investing less than half of the amount of money the Environment Agency of England says is necessary to improve flood defences across the country? They say £5.6 billion is needed. So far as I'm aware, the government is investing less than half of that. Many areas in the households that I've visited, and you know what, I've learnt a lot from visiting, the, visiting victims of floods. The Prime Minister should try it one day. They told me they can't actually afford to, uh, the insurance on their homes as the sc- costs have skyrocketed. Recent studies have shown that 20,000 homes are not protected by the government's insurance scheme, are also not protected by flood defences. That's 20,000 homes with no insurance and in danger of being flooded imminently. Isn't it time the Prime Minister found a very urgent solution to this problem? Just imagine what it's like to live in a home 
that's in danger of being flooded, you can't get it insured, and if you own it, you can't sell it or can't move. You are totally stuck. They are looking for the government to help them out at their time of crisis. Well, Mr Speaker, he is perfectly right in the sense that there are uh, particular problems to do with the insurance that I think anybody who has visited a flood-affected household will know. Uh, flood, flood Ray, on the other hand, has provided cover for over 164,000 households since uh, 2019. We are now looking, since last December's events, we are now looking at what we can do to protect households that do not have a proper insurance. But he also knows... Uh, that there are measures in place to ensure that householders get £500 and £5,000 to compensate themselves from the worst damage uh, that flooding can do. And that is cash that we can put in thanks to the investments that we have made in flood defences, which, believe me, would be beyond the capacities of any government led by a Corbyn, by a government led by the Right Honourable Member. The Welsh Government have done their best to step up to the crisis despite the underfunding from from Westminster. The Prime Minister was keen to pose for cameras when there is a crisis on during the election, but he often goes AWOL. He was late to respond to the London riots because he was on holiday. He was on a private island when the Iranian general was assassinated. And last week he was with his head in his sand, the sands in a mansion in Kent. The MP for Calder Valley, another of his colleagues, said it's not good enough. How can the country trust a Prime Minister, a part-time Prime Minister? Last night, last night, schmoozing Tory party donors at a very expensive black tie ball instead of getting out there and supporting the people who are suffering because of the floods. This government needs to step up to the plate and invest in defences and ensure there is real insurance for people whose homes are being ruined by these floods as we speak. Mr Speaker, the, the, the right honourable gentleman asked what this government has been doing in the last few days. Well, let me tell you, not only have we been investing massively in flood defences and compensating those who suffered from flooding, but we've been stopping the early release of terrorists. We've restored the nurses' bursary. We're beginning work on 40 new hospitals. We're recruiting 20,000 more police officers. And we can do that, Mr Speaker, because we have a strong and dynamic economy with employment at record highs, unemployment down to the lowest levels since the early 70s, wages going up, home ownership up. And what are they doing, Mr Speaker? They're still deciding. Look at them jabbering away, Mr Speaker. Jabbering away. I think we'll have a little bit more silence on the second Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, jabbering away because they still can't decide whether or not they want to be in the European Union, and the hottest topic of debate in the Labour Party is what job should the right honourable gentleman have in the shadow cabinet after the leadership election? Mr. Speaker, they are they are engaging themselves in narcissistic debate about the Labour Party. We are getting on. We are getting on in delivering on the people's priorities. The Prime Minister will be aware of the concern in settled rural communities such as those in North East Hertfordshire because of intentional, unauthorised development of travellers' sites. This leads to large numbers of lorries, large numbers of caravans coming onto land where there is no planning permission, and then subsequently 
the ignoring of uh, enforcement when the local authority tries to intervene. The Government has said that it will bring forward measures to try and tackle these planning issues. Uh, will the Prime Minister put his authority behind this and get it sorted out? Mr Speaker, I take that issue very seriously and I thank my right honourable friend for raising it. We are giving local authorities more powers to reject intentional unauthorised uh, development and we will be consulting on uh, the detail, details of those proposals in a forthcoming uh, white paper and I hope that he will uh, contribute to those consultations. In Blackfoot. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This week we learned that 40% of small businesses in Scotland employ more than one EU national. Mr Speaker, immigration is crucial for Scotland's economy. So it's no wonder that the Scottish Government's proposals for a Scottish visa system have been universally welcomed by businesses and charities alike. Even the Scottish Tories think it's a good idea. The Prime Minister rejected these proposals within a few short hours. Does he now admit this was a mistake? Mr Speaker, it was not only I who rejected the proposal, but also, of course, the Migration Advisory Committee. And uh, that is because we are bringing forward a very sensible proposal, which the people of this country have long desired, whereby we take back control of our immigration system with a points-based system. Uh, and uh, we will ensure, because the right honourable gentleman has an, an important concerns to raise, we will ensure that everywhere in this country, all businesses, all agricultural sectors, all the fishing communities in this country will be able to access the labour the workforce, the labour and the workforce that they need under our points-based system. But what will be the height of insanity, Mr Speaker, would be to proceed with the SNP's solution of a border at Berwick between England and Scotland. Once again, the Prime Minister shows he is utterly delusional. Let's look at the reality. Scottish Care has said that the Prime Minister's damaging immigration plans shut the door on enabling people to be cared for in their own home. The General Secretary of the GMB Union says the plans could genuinely tip businesses over the edge. Scotland's National Farmers Union have said their evidence has been disregarded, disregarded by the UK Government. And the Scottish Tourism Alliance say their plans will have devastating impact for Scotland's workforce. We know, Mr Speaker, that senior figures and the UK Government have said what the Scottish Parliament decides, and I quote, doesn't matter one jot. If the Prime Minister thinks the Scottish Parliament doesn't matter, the Scottish businesses matter, Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, of course uh, Scottish businesses matter and the way to, uh, to do well by Scottish businesses would not be to tax them with the highest tax rates uh, in, uh, in the UK. Uh, it would be to run a sound economy uh, in, in Scotland. It would, be, it would be to have an educational system that doesn't leave Scottish children lagging behind through no fault of their own. Through no fault of their own. Mr Speaker, this Government will get on and deliver a working, a working immigration system for the, for the whole of this country. And I may, I may say respectfully to the right honourable gentleman who shouts at me uh, from a sedentary position that he, once again he would be better off getting on with delivering for the people of Scotland rather than continuing with his ceaseless and vain quest to break up the United Kingdom because he will not succeed. Yeah. Laura Trott. Yeah. 
delivering yeah. for the people. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure the Prime Minister shares my concerns about the delay <laughs> in the delivery of the Maidstone East line, which runs through my constituency and others. Will the Prime Minister intervene to ensure there are no further delays in this vital railway line? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, I thank my honourable friend for rightly raising the issue of uh, of, of rail connections with uh, Mason East and the city, and I can tell her that in addition to the 48 billion uh, that we are putting into the railways, my right hon. Friend, the Secretary of Transport, has just indicated to me uh, that the, those connections are his uh, highest priority. <laughs> Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Graham was born with cerebral palsy, unable to talk, walk or feed himself. He brought joy and love to all who knew him. And last week, one of the Prime Minister's advisers resigned when a basic check of their internet history revealed that they had promoted eugenicist policies, the sort that would have ended my brother Graham Doherty's life before it began. So can I ask the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom to advise the House and every disabled person in this island why Andrew Zabisky remained at the heart of his government and was not removed when their pos- from their position immediately when their abhorrent views became apparent. Yeah. Mr Speaker, let's be absolutely clear that I certainly don't share those views and nor the views of anybody in this government. And that, that individual no longer works for the government. Does the Prime Minister agree that through the establishment of the Office for Environmental Protection, which will hold this government and future governments to their environmental commitments, it is the Conservatives who are driving the environmental agenda? And will you join me in commending the Conservative-led Solihull Borough Council for their commitment to be carbon neutral by 2030? Mr Speaker, it of course brings me a great joy to congratulate Solihull Borough Council uh, on their path-breaking leadership. I, of course, uh, uh, they are following in the footsteps of the National Government and, and uh, Right Honourable Lady for Maidenhead, uh, who led the way in, uh, in setting a, a carbon zero target uh, by 2050. This Conservative Government is going to leave our country, our environment, in a better state for the next generation. Right. I have a a pregnant constituent with her due date in the next couple of weeks. She is currently on universal credit and after deductions, including an advance, she is left with a grand sum of £111 a month to feed herself, to heat her home and to prepare for her child. Now, I know the Prime Minister will likely want more details about this case and will be happy to help, but I want to ask him, in principle, as the Prime Minister, does he think that £111 a month is enough for anyone to live on? Well, Mr Speaker, I'm of course very uh, happy indeed to look at the the case and to do whatever we can to help with the individual case. But I must say to her that in in the round, Universal Credit has helped and is helping uh, 200,000 people uh, into work. Uh, There is an estimated 1 million disabled households who will get around £100 more per month as a result of Universal Credit. And I'm proud to to stand by a record of helping people into work and off welfare. But uh, as I said to her before, I'm more than happy to look at the case. And the answer to her question in a a word is no. Ben Bradley. Mr Speaker, does my right honourable friend agree with me that the people of Mansfield, who, like many millions across the country, previously voted Labour, but now put their faith in a Conservative government? 
are not in fact traitors, as they've been branded by members of the party opposite this week. But in fact, this government and members on this side of the House respect these hard-working people and communities. We respect their choices and we will deliver for them. Well, Mr Speaker, I'm not going to comment on the vituperation. Uh, that uh, is meted out by the, by the party opposite. But what I will say is that all voters should be treated with respect and with humility. And I congratulate him on the hard work he's doing for the people of Mansfield. £10 million for West Nottingshire College, £20 million for road improvements, £5 million for proactive lung health screenings, and up to 20, £50 million in a town new deal and future high streets funding. In my view, the people of Mansfield are well served by my honourable friend. Kate Osborne. Mr Speaker, like many other sub-postmasters, my constituent, Chris Head, was victim to the Post Office Horizon IT system yeah. scandal. Yes. These errors have resulted in bankruptcy, imprisonment and even suicides. Yeah. Will the Prime Minister today assure Chris and others that he will commit to launching an independent inquiry? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, I am indeed aware of the scandal to which she alludes and the, and the, uh, the disaster that has befallen many uh, post office uh, workers. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy, and I've met some of them myself, I'm happy uh, to commit to getting to the bottom of the matter in the way that she, uh, she recommends. Miriam Cage. If you live in one of the rural villages in my constituency, it can take a whole day to travel to and from a hospital appointment because bus services are so few and far between. Um, as a fellow bus enthusiast, will my right honourable friend assure me that some of the £5 billion in the pipeline for bus services will go towards improving routes in Penniston and Stocksbridge? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, my, uh, my honourable friend is absolutely right about the vital, the vital importance of buses and their, and their transformative power, but uh, as for the detail of about what will, will happen in Pinnison and Stockbridge, uh, she will have to await the upcoming uh, national bus strategy, which will be along very shortly. Mr. Mr Speaker, before the last successful climate change talks in 2015 in Paris, I led the British preparations, including delegations of the three preceding UN climate talks. Global action on climate change only happens when the host nation engages with the world's largest nations in advance at the highest political level. So as the host of the 2020 climate talks, will the Prime Minister today publicly commit himself to meeting President Xi of China, Prime Minister Modi of India and US President Trump to secure for the Glasgow talks global action on the climate emergency? Uh, I'm grateful to the right honourable gentleman. I can tell uh, tell him and tell the House uh, that, of course, I've already engaged uh, just last week with uh, President Xi of China, repeatedly uh, with President uh, Modi of India, Prime Minister Modi uh, of India, and also, of course, already on this subject with President Trump. But there will be an intensifying drumbeat of activity in the run-up to Glasgow. Good day. No doubt, remember with the same fondness the conversations that we had when he was outlining his plan for global Britain. I welcome very much what he has been saying about uh, the defence review that is now planned and his priority on having a strategy first, foreign por- policy led review. Will he please make a statement to this House so that the views of this House can be heard, bringing together trade, aid, defence, foreign affairs, and of course, Defence. Yeah. Uh, I, I can, of course, give that commitment when uh, the moment is right, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister has a laundry list of climate promises. No doubt he'll read them out shortly, but he can't escape the fact 
that net zero won't be reached until 2099 on current rate of progress, not the 2050 he claims, let alone the 2030 we probably need. Even JP Morgan says human life as we know it is under threat. He can't be a climate denier, can he? So when will he take climate crisis seriously? Uh, Mr Speaker, these aren't promises, these are what we've already done. And it's thanks to Conservative action on climate change that we've reduced CO2 output by 43% on 1990 levels since 2010. Uh, we ha- and, and the economy has grown by 73%. 99%, 99% of uh, all the solar panels installed in this country have ha- happened under this Conservative government. And let me tell you, let me tell you that uh, in 1990, this country was 70% dependent on coal. Today it's 3% and they'd reopen the coal mines, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. John Downey, the IRA terrorist responsible for the Hyde Park bombing in 1982, which killed 11 soldiers, received a letter of comfort from the government and his trial collapsed. Corporal Dennis Hutchins received a letter in 1974 saying he would not be prosecuted in connection with the shooting incident which took place in Northern Ireland. He was then investigated again in 2011 and told there was no further ground for taking any action. Does the Prime Minister accept that if Dennis Hutchins goes to trial on the 9th of March, all the assurances, all the promises, the manifesto commitment will amount to nothing more than meaningless, empty platitudes? Mr Speaker, it's to rectify matters such as the uh, the one to which he draws the House's attention, that this Government is finally bringing in a uh, law to prevent the vexatious prosecution of our hard-working, hard-serving veterans when no new evidence has been produced. Mr Speaker, yesterday's press showed the widening health inequalities between the richest and the poorest. The money promised to Epsom and St Helier Trust could have addressed that issue in my area, but instead the NHS are removing services from the poorest areas and sending them to leafy Belmont with the longest life expectancy. Mm, yeah. St Helier yeah. Hospital will become a glorified walk-in centre. No A&E, no maternity unit, no children's services. 62% of beds gone. Will the Prime Minister reassure me that he will look at this to show that much doesn't have to always get more? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, in addition to, to, to the uh, 40 new hospitals that we are building, part of the part of the part of, part of, yes, part of the part of the uh, the 33.9 billion initial investment that we're making in the record investment that we're making into the NHS, I can tell her that Epsom and St Helier Hospitals, University Hospitals NHS Trust, will receive 500 million pounds to redevelop its estate and world-class facilities on that site. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister promise to resist in all circumstances the sell-out of our fishing communities so that we can ensure that on the 1st of January next year we take back control of our fishing waters and become an independent coastal state once again? I will will indeed, Mr Speaker, and I I hope her words uh, were listened to very carefully by the members of the Scottish Nationalist Party, because it is they they who would hand back control of our fishing to Brussels. Donald Jones. 
Thank you, Mr Speaker. There are families and businesses in my constituency who have been left devastated after Storm Dennis tore through their properties. The strength of our union is based on sharing resources at people's time of need, but so far not a penny announced by the United Kingdom Government will benefit Wales where the cost of repair is going to cost hundreds of millions of pounds. The Prime Minister talks the talk on the union, but will he today commit a cast-iron guarantee that he will provide the major new funding that Wales needs to recover from these floods? The the Honourable Gentleman is quite right to uh, raise uh, the issue of flooding in Wales, where of course it is a devolved matter, but nonetheless this Government is committed to working flat out uh, with the Welsh uh, devolved uh, administration uh, to ensure that everybody gets the flood relief that they need. And that cash, yes, of course, it certainly will be passported through. To receive £25 million investment via the Government's Towns Fund. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, we are looking to use this money to secure a university campus near the town centre. Will the Prime Minister lend his support for this scheme in order to level up and generate greater opportunity for Dudley people and the greater uh, black country? Well, I, I thank my honourable friend for what he's doing to, to, to champion uh, Dudley in the black, black country. And uh, I will certainly look at uh, what I can do to, to be. Is it to be there in person? Is that, is that what he's asking for? I'll do. Uh, be careful. Be careful what you wish for. Uh, to, to, be, to, to be there in person uh, to support what sounds like an excellent scheme. David Lyndon. As we've seen today, religious intolerance in India is on the rise, be it with the anti-Muslim citizenship laws or Christians whose prayer meetings are disturbed and then subject to brutal beatings. So will the Prime Minister agree to meet with me and a representative from Christian Solidarity Worldwide to look more closely at this issue and ensure that India upholds the freedom of religion? Uh, Mr Speaker, the Honourable Gentleman raises an absolutely uh, crucial issue which I am particularly concerned to uh, defend and advance uh, myself, and uh, that is why I was very pleased to appoint my honourable friend, the member for Gillingham and Raynham, uh, to be our special envoy for freedom and religious uh, belief, and uh, to protect uh, the, those of a Christian faith in uh, India and indeed around the world. I am more than happy uh, to uh, to meet the honourable gentleman. Daniel Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister will know of the appalling misery that the residents of Shrewsbury are facing with the deluges of floods that have affected our town. I am very pleased that the Minister for Flooding, our honourable friend, the member for Taunton Dean, is visiting Shrewsbury tomorrow. She is doing an excellent job. But will the Prime Minister ensure that the proposals put forward to Government for a, for a more holistic approach to managing the River Severn? are looked upon seriously because Shrewsbury cannot continue to suffer this level of economic damage with repeated floods. Mr Speaker, the, my, my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise the concerns of the people of Shrewsbury in the way that he does, and uh, everybody can see uh, how serious the problem is now uh, with the seven. And I, will, I will ensure that uh, uh, the Department of the Environment, takes, with the, working with the Environment Agency, takes the necessary steps. Mr Speaker, Sir Michael Mormont's damning findings outline the devastating impact that a decade of this Government's cuts has had on a constituency like mine in Gateshead. Since 2010, Gateshead Council's spending power has been cut in real terms by around 50 per cent, or £160 million per year. Our local safety net has been removed. What does the Prime Minister intend to do as a matter of urgency to reduce the stark and worsening health and life expectancy inequality between North and South? 
rich and poor, so that people in the poorest areas of my constituency can ex expect to live as healthily and as long as those in the most affluent areas of his constituency. Um, well, Mr Speaker, actually I have the highest respect for Professor Marmot and did uh, a lot of work with him uh, in London, and uh, where we did a, a huge amount to reduce health inequalities and uh, inequalities in life expectancy. But uh, there is more to be done, and I do, not, I do not deny it. And that is why this government is absolutely committed to uniting and levelling up across our country, with the biggest ever investments in the NHS, with massive investments in education and, of course, in early years provision. And I make absolutely no apology for the campaign for levelling up that we are about to undertake. And I just repeat my point to the House. There is only one way that we can fund this, only one way we can achieve this, and that is to have a strong and dynamic economy. And I would rather have a, a country and a society where we believed in hope and opportunity and the importance of work rather than welfare and benefits. And that is our approach.